Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Caregivers, I am Martha Tyler. And I am Katie Anderson. And we are the host of the Compassionate Caregiver Podcast. We believe the most profound impact we can have on the lives of children is by supporting, educating, and caring for the people who care for those children. And listeners, that's you. <laughs> We're so excited to be with you guys today. We are. Welcome, welcome to another episode. <laughs> today we are talking about advocating for your parenting style with your own parents. Yes, which is so tricky. It is very tricky. This is actually something that um, as a counselor, as a therapist, I have encountered more and more of folks who are trying to make this change in their lives, parent differently than the way that they were parented, Mm -hmm. and wrestling with how to do that, how to be respectful as a child of parents, and also respectful to the children in their care. Absolutely. I mean, you're touching on what my first question for you is, Martha, (laughs) which is, why is this a problem? Why is this so hard for us as people? What is the issue here? Yeah, so a lot of um, what we're doing in our lives is like searching for that connection Mm -hmm. piece, right? Mm -hmm. And so as children, we um, were consistently looking for the connection from our parents. Of course. Um, and that lives on, right? We, yeah, we it hear, go it just doesn't go away. <laughs> yeah. As you grow up, I actually saw this um, really fascinating study about co-regulation and the percent mm. of co-regulation. So from like zero to two, it's like, 95% mm. needs to be co-regulated. Yeah. There's very little they can do by themselves. that they can soothe by themselves, sure. which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then through like adolescence, it like gets a little bit smaller, but sure. it's still like 80% needs yeah. to be co-regulated. And then adults, like after your prefrontal cortex is done, when you're like 25 like, ding, and on, turkey's done. <laughs> ding, yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> It's still is ready to eat. It's still forty percent. Wow, I I believe that it's co-regulation. So much is environment that yes. we are placed in, and that is such an important. When you're in a stressful environment, when you're with people who add to your chaos or your calm, you are likely to experience that. We spoke in November about mirror neurons. Yes. Again, we will say mirror neurons are the cause of this. So if you don't know what mirror neurons are. We're going to tell you again, they're the things in your brain that fire when you're experiencing something, watching someone else experience it. So if I'm watching you scrub the floor, my brain is firing the neurons as if I am scrubbing the floor, even though I am not doing it. 
Likewise, if you are yelling, that is the fastest way to get somebody else to yell. And if someone else is yelling, keeping your voice calm and regulated is it's very soothing on accident. They don't even know. Yeah. So if a child is screaming and you start whispering to the child, they're more likely to take their voice down and also calm down. Sometimes with little ones, when I was in the classroom, if they were crying and they wanted a hug, I would hold them and I would take a deep breath and go, (sighs) 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 and it would help to settle them because they would start breathing like that as well. Yeah, yeah, and we see that so much um, in the research of like that, the, the mirror neurons and watching other people yes. is one of the best ways to co-regulate. Yes. Um, and it's just, it's fascinating. Yeah. Like moving together is one of the best ways. Yeah. We're singing or dancing all together. Like musically moving all together is one of the best ways yeah. for everyone to co-regulate. And as an adult too, the Gottmans who are... Um, researchers, they're like love researchers, if you will, Uh, they have done studies where it's like a weekend away with your partner, Mm -hmm. but you have a heart monitor on and you're like detecting all of these different things. And what they have found is partners, when they enter the room, their heartbeats regulate, even if you're across the room, as do your brain waves. Yeah. So long-term partnerships, if you hold hands with the partner, it lowers your blood pressure and it lowers your heart rate. And so, so just knowing this, if I'm feeling anxious, I will hold my husband's hand and it will calm me down. So there is a lot of co-regulation that we don't even know is happening, just biologically it's happening with our bodies, with people that we love and trust and care for us. Yeah, absolutely. And so as we are moving toward building new patterns of behavior. <laughs> yes. um, it's a very lovely way to say that. <laughs> yeah, or like a buzz buzz phrase that goes around a lot, but one that I love is breaking the intergenerational cycles. Absolutely. Um, I think that a lot of times it can be really difficult when we are back, especially in the environment that we grew up in, in our childhood. You know, sometimes you go home and you're sleeping in your childhood bedroom. And it can be really hard to, like, remember. Um, I think on How I Met Your Mother, they called it, like, uh, revertigo. Yes. Or something like I can't remember. There's a clinical term for it, too. Regression. Thank you. I was like, there's a... And it was interesting, so I I have a therapist. I think yeah. everyone should go to therapy. I think it's I great. I also have a therapist. Yes, yes. <laughs> and she is a therapist. Yes. Um, so I think it's such a valuable thing to do. And I was telling my therapist, I went to my parents' house, and my parents are lovely, wonderful human people. They very much They're are. They're great. They're so <laughs> great. And so are my siblings. I love my family very much. I entered their house for some holiday last year, and it was so bizarre. I entered into like a childhood role that nobody put me in. I just did it myself. And I was telling my therapist, I said it was really weird because I could like tell I was doing it. No one was making me do it. And at, for me, it was like, I'm gonna organize the activities. We're gonna be really efficient. We're gonna clean these activities and unpack these things. 
and it kind of became like taskmaster. Yeah. No one else asked for it. Nobody wanted it. Yeah. And like my husband was there and he didn't even, he didn't think it was that bad either, but I was like it was weird because I have grown out of that role. Right. I am still a little bit of a taskmaster, you guys, cuz you know, that's who I am. Yeah. But I don't I don't function in that same way that I used to. Where, but nobody was forcing me to do it. I just like instantaneously slipped into it to be like, we said we were going to do these things. What time are we doing this? We need to start moving on that. And it was like very bizarre to watch it. And I just, I'm curious, Martha, what do you think we as humans, like why do we do that? What is it about our brain that enters into these patterns with people? Well, I think it is those, some of those old pathways get reactivated with the environment and around the people that we grew up with. Yeah, you're used to playing a role, perhaps. Yeah, you're used to playing a role. It feels really comfortable, even when it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's the uncomfortable that you know versus the uncomfortable of the unknown. And we often, as humans, will pick the uncomfortable that we know. Sure, that makes sense. Um, over unknown. Yeah. So as you are making changes in your <laughs> life and your parenting style, um, it can be really hard when you are going back to an environment where you... Are used to playing a different role? You're used to playing a different role. You're used to using different survival tactics. Sure. Um, coping mechanisms, even yeah. if it's not... You know what I... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, coping yeah. mechanisms, or yeah, sometimes it's survival. Playing that role. Like, yeah, playing that role. Yeah, I had a lot, like it was a weird epiphany for me, because I was like, I wonder if I've always just assigned myself this role, that right. I decided this was an open role, and I was going to be that person, and nobody asked me to do it, Yeah, but it was a very strange realization, and I think that that is something that's very interesting about when you re-enter your parents' house. As a parent, and yes. I'm about to do that. Yeah. Um, I, I currently live with my in-laws. We are going to have a baby now in two months. Um, unless she decides to come early. Which she might. Yeah, who knows? If she's like me, she'll yep. show up early. <laughs> uh, and just wait in the car. So. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but, we'll see. If you give birth anywhere, <laughs> we'll I'm going to just laugh so bit. hard. Uh, well, I'll ask if you're okay, and then I'll laugh. Yes, really yes, hard. yes. You'll, yeah, it'll be great. It's the winter, so it could it could yeah. happen in the car depending on the snow. Uh, but it's going to be such an interesting mindset shift because, like you said, one of the roles we play in that relationship is the role of the child. Yep. And the role of the child, usually, we're being instructed, we're being guided, we're being mentored, mm-hmm. and then to then become a parent—that's a new role. You're being asked to play two roles at once, and there's a duality. Now you are the instructor, the guide, the mentor. And that's a very tricky line to balance, especially if you don't necessarily agree with like the way you were parented. I'm very lucky, and my husband is very lucky. We have very similar ideals that we want our children to have that our parents gave to us. However, you know, parents don't always get it right. We won't get it right 100% of the time. Yeah. And Parents are doing the best they can with the skills they have at the time. And now, as a society, we have more skills. We do. So there's a lot of people who are kind of rejecting certain aspects of how they were raised, which doesn't mean it's bad, terrible, or wrong. It just means they're making a cognizant choice to do something different. Right. Yeah, I think that especially for 
the holidays if you are in the situation where you are going home with children in your care um, to visit with your parents, that shift away from but to and is going to be really crucial because there are a lot of things like, I hear you, but I am going to do it this way or whatever. And switching that to and helps you hold two things at the same time. Yes. I love my parents. I had a great childhood and I am choosing to do things differently. Or my partner and I are choosing to do things differently. Yes. For and we're so grateful for the childhood we had. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And we're grateful for the grandparents you are. Like and we're grateful for you hosting us. Yes. And, yes. and, and, and. Yes. Um, and I think showing that gratitude also, I think having that space and grace mm-hmm. uh, without accepting all the actions right. that, you know, not, not saying I'm going to blindly follow what you did. That's what good parenting is, is, is understanding. You're going to need those skills with your children too. Yep. Have grace for mistakes and also say this is what we're going to do instead mm-hmm. and we thank you so much for you know suggesting it or letting us know yeah i think that grace is a really excellent word for this whole episode because having grace for your parents or your in-laws yes um is super crucial and having grace for yourself oh, and your yes. partner and having grace for your children yes. My aunt told a story, so because we're about to have a baby, my aunt was telling me um, when my cousin had her first child, they went to stay for like a week and a half or two weeks, I can't remember, and we were packed. She said, I will never forget this. We were packed to leave. We had our wheelie suitcases at the door. We hugged them, and then she said, my daughter burst into tears, and she said, you're not really going to leave me here with me not knowing how to do any of this and messing everything up, are you? And she was like, honey, your baby doesn't know that you're messing everything up. She's figuring it out too. And that's the same idea is you might not, you might feel like you're messing it all up, but your child is also learning. And that is another thing is you have to be kind to yourself and your child. We're going to make mistakes. That's how we learn. It's okay. A lot of times babies are meant to survive accidental parenting. So if you are making sure that you're being mindful of like really the big safety issues your child is going to learn and grow with you. You are clearly a compassionate caregiver. You're listening to this podcast. You care about your child's experience. You're going to do great. You're going to mess it up. But again, if you're getting it right 98% of the time and 2% you mess it up, it's pretty good. You're getting an A+. Plus, yeah, you know? a definite A+. Yeah. Plus. And I also think that, I, I don't think, I know that the repair yes. is yes. so important in those moments. Yes. Like more important than the mistake. And that happens even with infants. So yes. they have studies where infants, when there's a mismatch in like cognitive need or emotional need, mm-hmm. infants actually show signs of trying to regulate themselves and trying to repair that experience with their caregiver. Um, and you can see that in this, there's a thing called the uh, tronic still face experiments mm-hmm. um, where they had a caregiver go blank. And um, the baby tried all these different things like pointing cooing, uh, smiling, and when that didn't happen, the baby started averting their eye contact and trying to regulate themselves, putting their hands in their mouth. And then when the caregiver restarted, there was an attempt to repair that um, kind of disconnect. Mm -hmm. But they found that the more that that happens, even like several weeks later, 
that baby went to that alarming experience faster, that trying to regulate yeah. faster because they had learned this person's not available to me right now. And sometimes there are many different things that happen in childhood that are like, wasn't that bad? And also it hurt. Yeah. For whatever reason. And that's okay. Some people have had significant abuse and that is a different thing. We're not quite talking about that. Right. In this experience. So, so Martha, <laughs> we talked about why this is a problem and why we need to do this. How do we do this? Help us, Martha. Help us. Oh my gosh. It's so, um, that's so important. <laughs> yes, um, yes. yeah. So what comes to mind for me first and foremost is, um, an idea that I first heard about from Glennon Doyle, um, who wrote Untamed among many other things and has a podcast, but I heard about it. She was talking on Brene Brown's podcast, um, podcasts on podcasts on podcasts and here you guys, I am a a podcast fiend. Um, but yes. And so enthusiast, (laughs) connoisseur. Yeah. I actually just like the word. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It makes me feel like mischievous. Yeah. Yeah. Mischievous and (laughs) ha ha ha. Um, but yes. And so she talked about, so a little bit of background is that she got a divorce from her husband of many, many years. They had two children together and married, um, a woman who is a soccer star. I don't know enough Dang. about soccer. Yeah, so nor do I. I apologize we, for yeah. soccer fans out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, not our area of expertise. But she was talking about when that all happened that they got really clear about their boundaries and she thought of it like an island. So her ex-partner, her new partner, her children, and any of the other children involved mm-hmm. in those partnerships were on the island, and they were very intentional about who they let the drawbridge down for. Absolutely. So she was like, my parents and other in-law parents had to earn their spot (laughs) on our island because we were doing things so differently than how we were raised that we had gotten a lot of pushback on that. And we said, we need time to figure this out. We're not letting other voices in until we have figured this out. Um, And then they were able to better like let that drawbridge down, which we talk in boundaries all the time we've had a couple different episodes about oh, yes, boundaries yes. we love but boundaries here. we do we're, we're both recovering boundaryless people so we're yes. learning our own boundaries recovering people pleasers yes. um who are boundaryless people um, <laughs> and and in boundaries we talk about boundaries are showing people the door it's not building a wall that's impenetrable yeah. it's showing them the door, yes. and that's similar to the drawbridge metaphor. Yes, absolutely. You know, the, it's interesting, something you said in there about pushback yeah. from the parents because they were doing things differently. It, it really made me think of the shame that's involved in parenting. Yes. And I think a lot of times the defensiveness and pushback that you see from parents is fear and shame and guilt and feelings of sadness like they did not do a good job that they fear that your choice to go a different way is actually a condemnation of your experience. And I think if you can, like you said, hold both the and, mm-hmm. like our, my childhood was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And also I'm going to do this mm-hmm. for my children. Because a lot of this is is new brain science. That we, yes. we didn't have the, the same MRIs of children's brains and uh, 
PET scans and all the different scans that we have now to see how they are functioning and how like developmentally appropriate practice, I'm putting it in air quotes, mm -hmm. that's a phrase we use in early childhood education is like, what is developmentally age appropriate for children? Because yeah. they don't think like little adults. They have right. different cognitive abilities. They have different emotional abilities. And so keeping in mind like generational values of like when food was more scarce, you ate everything on your plate. Right. Now we have learned that that interrupts children's satiety signals. And I'm, we've done a podcast on that. You can mm -hmm. listen to that podcast too. That actually interrupts satiety signals. Satiety is how full you feel. So if we force children to finish their plates, they're actually learning to stop listening to their body cues. Infants turn away when they're full. Right. They will stop trying to consume food. They'll turn their head to the side and close their mouth. And we're messing up the process <laughs> by being like, no, kid, you're eating it. Here comes the airplane. And, you know, it's, it's creating power struggles around food and creating body autonomy issues. Did it come from a good place? Did it come from a place of love and fear right. that your child wasn't going to get the proper nutrition? Mm -hmm. And I wonder how much of that sprung from, like, economic tragedy like the Great Depression. Right. You eat what's on your plate, whether you're hungry for it or not. Yeah. Because this is what we have and we don't know where our next meal comes from. Mm -hmm. And so there is a level of that, that parents, we, we learn like the seatbelt, right? I don't know if yeah. you know what I'm talking about, you guys, but the soccer mom seatbelt, yeah. where when you're braking in a car and suddenly you put your arm out to stop the person next to you. Well, we don't need that anymore. That's from when there were no seatbelts in cars, right. which our parents, when they were kids, Martha and I are both in our 30s, mm -hmm. our parents were raised as kids in cars that didn't have seatbelts like that. Right. So they did get physically stopped by their parents to protect them. Mm -hmm. And now we do that. I don't know if you do that, Martha. Yep. I do that. I do it too. Even though we have seatbelts in our cars. <laughs> so this is like a, it's, we just repeat. And if you are able to be aware, certain things are faded out. We don't need that anymore. We don't need that coping mechanism of having to eat everything on your plate. Because usually we're in an environment where we do right have access to food not everybody that's an issue for our society that we're figuring out but that's something that we don't have to do as much and there's science and research based on that which is new so right. our parents were doing what they thought was right in many ways yeah and also we're learning new ways and i like i think that a really good example of this is um our parents' parents, our grandparents, mm -hmm. spanked. Yep. A lot of them spanked. With a belt. With or a belt. A tree branch. Yeah. Or the switch. Yeah. Grandpa had to pick his own switch. Or a paddle. Yeah. Like that was specifically for spanking. Yes. Um, or they were, you know, slapped with rulers at yes. school, things like that. So that was that generation. And then our parents. A lot of them. Some of them still spanked. And, yeah, you know, and some people do still spank. And some yeah. people do still spank. But a lot of our generation, certainly in my household, it was time out. Yes. And now we have seen brain research that says that time out is not necessarily they're not, they're the healthiest. They're not learning in time out. Yes. yes. And so now we're doing more time ins and yes. compassionate caregiving and yes. um, all Teaching of that Teaching them the skills, stuff. guidance approach. Yes. And again, it doesn't mean that our parents didn't love us. They were doing what they believed was the most compassionate, loving thing at the time. Yeah. Because spanking with a switch for my grandpa, my grandpa tells this story, or he did when he was still alive, that he soon realized that the heavier the switch, the less 
easy it was to swing so it didn't hurt. So he tells a story about he drug a huge tree branch across the yard because he was like, you can't hit me with this. It yeah. won't sting as much. Um, but that's the, you know, then it was just the bare hand and it was considered safe if you didn't leave a mark or, you know, and then parents moved to time out. It's, it's these micro evolutions of family systems that create this intergenerational change. We're doing better than the generation before us all the time because we're learning more all the time. Yep, and we are also preparing the children in our care for the world that they are growing up in. Yes. Not the world We're that... currently living in. Yes. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I read an article once that said, um, parents today experience so much stress because they're parenting their child for a world that they don't know what it's going to look like. Right. And they're trying to do their best, but they don't know. Mm -hmm. And I think that we see that too in parents right now with so much, um, not political change, but like human rights uh, yeah. change and like awareness about gender identity and things like that. I think that that was kind of inconceivable to many people at that time that that was a possibility. And so they're having to rewrite these like ideas about the world, about how the world functions cognitively right that's a large cognitive load yeah and especially if you have an environment that that's more challenging in it's a lot of extra work to rewrite those patterns yeah so it's just restructuring your whole world and your whole expectations yeah and technology too like yes. technology is evolving way faster than like we can yeah. study or know the best and the worst it's yeah. the best and the worst yeah and yeah. it it's gonna take a little while for us to like catch up yeah. and we you know right now it feels like it's still going so there is yeah. no way to catch up yeah so. <laughs> one day one day yeah. and then we maybe have to take that brave leap yeah. sideways which was a ways back yes. but I listen to yes. that episode because it was very yes. good something that Martha oh, yeah. talks about too which I hope you'll touch on now is capital T versus lowercase t trauma and and what that is and why it matters and what that actually means for us as people yeah, so I just attended um, a three-day workshop about um, healing trauma through play, mm -hmm. and it was fantastic. And one of the biggest takeaways is that whether you had capital T trauma or little t trauma, so capital T trauma being like one event that was traumatic, so a car crash or um, a hurricane or lots of things you know those those moments of true abuse those yeah. are capital t assault. traumas assault yeah. yeah like the one or two Neglect. events yeah. that are like you can be like the, the before and the after of this one event changed sure. me um little t trauma is tiny little things that happen <laughs> that feel um like set a stage of yeah set set this environment where you're you're not able to trust or connect in the same way yeah. because it it happens over and over and over like and the we, little betrayals of mm -hmm. trust expectations mm -hmm. consistency caregiving yes all of that and we talk about some of that as complex trauma yeah. um because it happens so so much over time. And in a complex trauma book that I read, it talked about if 
uh, complex trauma was included in the DSM-5, yeah. it would be one page long. Really? Because so much of the like disorders that we see are actually from this complex trauma. Now, the interesting thing That's that I learned... Really interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, the, and, the, and then to build on that, the interesting thing I learned at this particular workshop is that the impact of that trauma, especially little t trauma, yeah. but capital T trauma too, has to do with how your caregivers respond Interesting. to the trauma. So if you as the child are going to folks and saying like, I don't like this, this feels unfair, I hate this, and they are saying you're fine, they're writing you off, stop lighting. Yeah, yeah, stop complaining about this, like why are you making this all about you? Any of those types of responses Lack of acknowledgement. Lack of acknowledgement. Sure. Um, lack of validation for the feeling. Yeah. Um, that leads to longer healing yeah. from the little t trauma yeah. and more complex um, responses yeah. to and that little t trauma. Healing in relationship is primary. I, I think this is why people struggle so much when they lose a parent who, who is not as close of a caregiver. Because mm-hmm. it's more final, I guess. The relationship is over and you don't have a positive. That relationship is always that way now. Right. You did not get to heal it. It's done. Which you can still heal it yes. in therapy. But not. But that's yeah. in relationship. But that's again. in relationship. Yep. And so healing, trying to heal outside of, trying to heal a relationship outside of relationship is not going to work. Yeah. You need relationship to heal relationship. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's interesting that you say this. It actually reminds me of the book Waking the Tiger, which is another therapy book, everybody. It was really good. Um, If you have trauma around assault, read it with caution. Yeah. Um, But also that's part of why people read it because it's, it's the idea that these things live in your body and they live in your parasympathetic. Is it parasympathetic? or It lives in your nervous system. Yeah. One of your central nervous systems. I'll have to... Pretty sure it's parasympathetic, but not 100. I have to double check because okay. I can't remember the difference between them right now. Yeah. But um, it lives in your central nervous system, essentially, yeah. the interrupted fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response. Mm-hmm. And in nature, previously, you either died... Or you moved through that trauma, and then the trauma ended. Right. Because the trauma before was more like, a lion's coming to eat me. Mm -hmm. Uh, A snake has bitten me. I am falling from a mountain. And you Mm -hmm. either die, and the response is done, or uh, you get back to your village and you celebrate. Like, yay, Mm -hmm. we didn't die from the tiger. Uh, And so you're dissipating that energy. Right. But when you have an interrupted response, or you have habitual trauma, Mm -hmm. uh, then it lives inside you. And they talk about, in that book, that lowercase t trauma for for this author, he mentions, like, trauma does not have to be abuse. Right. And what you experience as an infant, being left in a cold room as an adult, is just annoying. You maybe don't even think about it. You put on a sweater or you leave that room. If you're an infant who can't leave that room, that can be trauma to your body. Lowercase t trauma, not like capital T trauma. Right. But it is something that they don't have autonomy over. Mm-hmm. They cannot change it. They feel powerless and they can't fix the situation where it's, I mean, I basically just said the same thing four times, but yeah, keep in mind, those are all kind of different shades of the same experience. Right. And when we have these experiences, especially as small children, we have less skills, we have less power, we have less autonomy, 
and we're less physically strong, which yeah. is why kids get kind of bowled over a lot or steamrolled. And so you can have these little experiences where your parents didn't harm you, they weren't unkind to you, yeah. they just maybe weren't acknowledging your feelings as much. And so that can feel very bad, and that can be a habit you fall back into when you become a parent. Yeah. Feeling alone in your trauma is hard. Yes. It makes it so, so, so much harder. Yes. Um, and we also see this in um, natural disasters yeah. versus man-made disasters. Interesting. Natural disasters, because most of the time in a natural disaster, everyone joins together. Yeah. To, like, comes together to help. Yeah. In man-made disasters, often that is not true. That's interesting. And so man-made disasters are often much, much worse, and the trauma is longer lasting because people feel alone in the trauma and there isn't the community around it. Can you give an example of man-made versus natural disasters, tsunami, earthquake, tornado, hurricane? School shooting. School shooting. That's what I was wondering. I was like, is it like acts of violence? I wonder where 9-11 falls in. Yeah, so 9-11 is a really interesting one because we responded um, at first by coming together and then we got torn apart. A little bit like COVID. Yeah. COVID, which technically is a natural disaster, but our response was more like a man-made disaster. Um, We joined together for a few months and then we kind of fell apart. Yeah. Um, And that has been... interesting. Yeah. It's also interesting, too, because there are so many... I took a weather class way back in, like, college, undergraduate college, where they said natural disasters are only disasters because people live there. Ah. And, like, a tsunami actually gives the groundwater in the area, like, this huge tidal wave, for 10 years to grow Ah. plants out of the ground, which is important for being a culture that has plants... Um, however, that's something that I wonder how that applies to man. I mean, obviously, man-made disasters are disasters because they were intentionally attacked in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's really yeah. interesting. That's very interesting to unpack. So, okay. So we kind of got off track, but it was fun. We all loved yeah. it. But we, this is all, all relevant. And so my question for you then is like setting boundaries. I know we talked about that a little bit. Something I like to think about is like, what's in my backyard? What is in my backpack? Or what's a boulder that I can help somebody else carry? Yeah. Um, so what do you think? Like, how can we go about setting boundaries with our parents who most of us love our parents? Right. And we don't want to upset them or embarrass them or make them feel bad in front of our own kids. So what can we do about that? Really fast. I love that question and I do want to answer it. One more thing about trauma. Yeah. Is if you had a capital T trauma in your life... When your child reaches that age, that capital T trauma will come back up for you. Oh, dang. Yes. Is that like somatic re-experience? Yes. It's like the anniversary effect, essentially. The anniversary effect, yep. So when, especially if your child is the same gender as you. Talk about the anniversary effect for people who don't know. So the anniversary effect is the when something terrible has happened on the anniversary of that terrible thing, a lot of times, like building up to that anniversary, you're like, why do I feel awful? Why is everything hard? You're thinking about that. that. Yes, even it's it's often very unconscious. Yeah. 
but you're like, everything feels awful, and I hate the world I right understand. now, yeah, why and I don't understand why I'm struggling. Interesting. A lot of times it can be that anniversary effect, and that happens again with our children. That makes sense. It's a and trigger. It's a, a trigger, yeah, and you want to protect your child from what yes. you experienced, even if that threat is not there at yep. all for your child. Yep. It still feels very it's real to you. Like it's the emotional system of our brain and not the logical system of our brain. Yeah, yes. it's exactly that. And again, that response is protective. Yeah. And I think people, I, I have like low key anxiety, everyone, and in a helpful way. Right. Sometimes if I'm not careful about it, I can let it become unhelpful. Yeah, same. But a lot of times if you invite anxiety to be a part of it, you're like, thanks for helping me do my homework, everybody. Yeah. It's it's meant to help protect you, help you survive, help you succeed. And I think people often forget that a lot of these emotions are protective yep. and they are helpful. However, they need not control us. Right. So they can influence us, but not control us. You want your anxiety in the passenger seat, not the driver's yes. seat. That's from yes. Emily V. Gordon's you, book. You taught me that and I loved it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what is it? Super You? Yeah. Super. I love, yeah, Super You. Super You, yeah. Um, they can be in the car. They can yep, they hold can, the map, but they can't drive yep, it. Yeah. They cannot drive the car. Yes. You get to drive yeah. the car. Um, now I would love to talk about yes, <laughs> boundaries. Yes. Um, but I did just want to mention that because it, it's yeah. unconscious and it happens for folks yes. and they're like, why is this happening? And when you bring that up, when you bring that to your awareness, you have the ability to be like, I wonder if this is why that's happening. Mm -hmm. And the more we understand our behavior, the more likely we are to respond instead of react, yep. which is really a key pivotal piece in respectful and compassionate caregiving is to respond meaning I thought about it, I made a choice to act versus And I was react. regulated when I made that exactly. choice. Exactly. And it wasn't a knee-jerk reaction, no. just a response. Yeah. So much of the parenting that people feel unhappy with or caregiving, because you might be a nanny, you could be yeah. a teacher, you could be a therapist or a nurse, so much of the caregiving we don't feel good about is our knee-jerk reaction. Yep. Because we do what we have seen, mm -hmm. whether we like it or not. And so if you take the time to respond... That is really powerful and having awareness of um, kind of subconscious factors that could be influencing your actions is a really important, powerful thing. Yeah. And so if you are in a situation where folks are offering you advice, and this can be your parents, but it can also be just anybody. Literally anybody, because as a pregnant this, lady, I find I'm getting a lot of advice. Oh, it happens so yeah. much. Um, this is from Nedra Tawab, who we have mentioned a lot on the podcast. She wrote um, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. Set Boundaries, Find Peace, which if you have not read it, Please read it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. Read it in celebration of the winter season. Yes. You might see your family more than regular. Yeah. It's so, so, so helpful. I had a friend over the weekend who was telling me things that were going on in her life, and I was like, you said you were halfway through? Yeah. Who <laughs> said boundaries fine? Keep piece. reading. Keep I'm reading. Gonna, I'm going to just tell you to keep reading. Yes. A lot of the things you're struggling with are directly... Um, in the book, and something that I love so much about the book is that she offers, Nedra offers you scripts yeah. 
Um, and so I found a set of scripts that I think is really helpful. Love it. So this is from um, Nedra's um, Instagram account, which is Nedra Tawab, um, which is spelled, Tawab is spelled T-A-W-W-A-B. Um, so Nedra is N-E-D-R-A. Thank you. Yeah. That so, was more obvious than Tawab. Yeah. But, but I in appreciate In case you it. struggle with letters. Yes. Which I struggle with spelling, so I feel you. Um, But this is one of her posts that says, when people offer unsolicited advice, practice saying, that's good to know, but I already have a solution. Nope, actually, I'm going to reread that because she said, and, and that's what she has I already have a solution. And I would add, I'll keep that in mind in case my first choice doesn't work out. Yep, yep. So acknowledging that they provided you with something, love it. Um, another one is that might work for you, but that's not something I'm comfortable doing. Yeah. And you could substitute and in there if you want. Sometimes I, I also notice when people are giving you a lot of advice and this is not about like my pregnancy or anything, but like work stuff. Sometimes it's like, Hey, I've noticed you're um, offering a lot of, you know, insight. Are you feeling nervous about this? Are you, I'm wondering what's going on for you that you're feeling like, do you feel like we need to handle it differently? What What's happening? Yeah. What are your fears? Yeah. And so giving them a chance to kind of exercise what is bothering them and, and kind of fact check, because that's another thing we do with anxiety, yeah. is you play the what if game. Like, mm-hmm. and what if that did happen? Then what will we do? What would you want to do next? Allowing them to kind of purge that, because many times it's not about you, it's more about them. Yeah. So giving them a chance to do that oftentimes releases that pressure and then you don't have to hear all the unsolicited advice that you maybe don't want or need. But Yeah, absolutely. Um, this one's really direct. Please stop telling me what I should do. <laughs> <laughs> I would use that on the 10th time they've done yep, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but some people's families speak in a really direct way. Yeah. So if that's your family culture, that might be your go-to. That might yeah. be number one. Yeah. Um, you seem like you're trying to help. And listening would be really helpful right now. So acknowledging, I see, I like, I understand that you are, you you have my best interest in mind. You are really trying to help right now. Right now, I need you to listen. And then maybe (laughs) later we can come up with solutions. Yep. Yep. Um, Another one is, I want to work this through without input from others. And this is a great one for you and your partner to use of like, I, we are we want to work through this without outside input. Thank you yes. so much, but we really want to work through this yeah. together. This is uh, sort of related, sort of unrelated, but on election day, or I shouldn't say on election day, I voted early. So prior to election day, the weekend before, uh, when I went to the polling place, there were like 100 zillion people outside who would like come up one at a time and then... We'd like, oh, thank you. Well, like, do you have a card? Because we'd like to research it before we sign any of your um, petitions. petitions of, yeah, whatever, getting somebody on the ballot. And some people were very respectful of that. They were like, sure, there's a line inside. We'll be here when you come out. And some people were like, well, I'm here right now. What do you want to ask me? And I was like, I, I actually need more time to, like, sit and research. I was like, thank you so much, though. But giving that, giving yourself time. Mm-hmm. We talked about this in the boundaries episode to being like, let me check my schedule or like, I'd love to look into that. Mm-hmm. Thanks for suggesting it. I'm going to check that out. Right. And then sometimes that's enough for them to feel acknowledged because a lot of times 
what they really want is to feel powerful yeah. or to feel like someone cares or to feel like their opinion matters. Yeah. And so if you can give that to them and you don't have to do the activity to be like, great idea, I will look that up. A lot of times it never comes back up. Yeah. Because they feel like you acknowledge them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, another one is, and this one I is probably would be my go-to is I know you, I know you mean well, and it's hard for me to say this. I don't want any advice, and when I do, I will ask for yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, because it acknowledges like I I'm struggling to set this boundary, yeah. um, which I think is like just the truth for a yeah. lot of us. I think you can say too, because I feel like especially with parents, like. I really care about your opinion so much and mm-hmm. I really value what you have to say and I'm struggling to understand what I think before I take any advice so yep. I would love it if we could pause this mm-hmm. conversation until I know how I feel about it and then I will come ask you for input once I've, I've really settled how I'm feeling about this because then it does acknowledge like you're important to me yep. Garrett. I love you I appreciate your advice I'm going to ask for it later, but also you don't have to. Yeah. And then, like, I, I first need to really, and that's a need. I need to find out what I think first before I seek advice because yeah. I want to make this, like, conclusion uninfluenced by yeah. others. Yeah. And for a lot of recovering people pleasers, it, it, it is so important for us to have that space to really listen yeah, to, to what's going on yes. with us because other people's voices are often louder Absolutely. in our heads. Absolutely. Um, and then the last one is I'm venting, not looking for advice. Yeah. Which I think is really wonderful. Yes. And I think a lot of times that's something that partner to partner, yes. if you have a co-partner or a co-parent or somebody who is helping you at work, I think that is a relational thing that people struggle with too and I'm very blessed I have a husband who is a wonderful he took an active listening class in college I'm really he came pretty trained I was very he's really wonderful so lucky (laughs) uh but I know a lot of people who struggle with that in their relationships and it's very difficult where they're saying like I know you're trying to help me like you said what would really help me right now I just want to listen I just want to say something right now I don't need you to solve it because yeah a lot of times this is a gender stereotype A lot of times they say that people who identify with female gender, they would like someone to listen and reflect and validate their feelings. And a lot of times people who identify with a male gender are like, I'm going to solve this problem because I love you and I'm going to give you a bunch of advice right now. And you're like, that's actually not what I'm looking for. Um, So if that is something that you are working with, with whoever your partner is, I find that I tend to also offer solutions. Yeah. I identify as a female, so I'm not sure that any of that gender stereotyping is true, you know. Uh, but I, I think that it's good to remember that people really, first, they need the, to know somebody understands them and validates that. That's like, yes, that is very uncomfortable. And you can, if you're somebody who offers solutions, you can say, do you want to like brainstorm solutions? Or do you want me to listen? Which I know is something you've said, Martha, about yep. working with kids. Yeah. It's like, do you want me to just listen right now or do you want help solving the problem? Right. Yeah. Which is really wonderful yes. to teach kids. And absolutely. I use it with my friends all the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I will also say, friends, if this is, if you're trying all of this and this is not working, limit your time exposure windows because you do have control a lot of times. 
sometimes even if money's tight, it might be worth it to just get a hotel. Yep. So you can show up for the time that you're together. You don't have interrupted sleep schedules for your kids. If you've got kids, you can have some of the meals outside of the house. So just reducing the amount of time to reduce the potential amount of conflict. And this is something that I've been learning about again in uh, my grad school classes about your biological genetic predisposition and the environmental interplay. So we, as kids, don't get to choose the environment. This is like lowercase t trauma, right? Yeah. So if you are somebody who your genetics make you want a quieter environment, but you grew up in a loud, chaotic, busy environment, that's some lowercase t trauma you experience. And then when you become an adult and you move out, you choose an environment that meets your genetic predisposition. So then it enforces it and you feel less stress, chaos, which is why people feel differently when they're living in their own homes than when they lived in their parents' homes. Not that their parents' homes are wrong or bad, just that it is not the fit for their predisposition, their, what they prefer genetically, yeah. so brain architecture-wise. And then when you go back to that environment, all of a sudden you're thrown back into maybe a loud, busy, chaotic, or maybe something that's boring for you because maybe you prefer the busyness. Right. And your house is very relaxed. There's nothing to do. They sit and watch TV all day. You're bored out of your mind. So it's, it's out in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Yeah. You cannot get things delivered <laughs> to you in two hours. Yes. It's crazy. No. Um, but having these, this kind of mismatch of predisposition and environmental choice, I think that's what people really, really struggle with, especially around holiday times. It is December. Some of you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah or something else. And that's all great. A lot of times we see our families because the government often gives us time off in America during this time period, whether you celebrate these holidays or not. So people do use it to see family, whether, again, you're celebrating anything. Right. However, that's very difficult because then you're being pushed back into an environment which might not be a good fit. Right. And, or might have been an uncomfortable fit. It was pleasant. You were lucky to have that childhood. And also, it's not your ideal environment. Yeah. And so just trying to organize yourself and keep yourself regulated in that is very challenging. So if you can lean on your co-parent or your co-partner, whoever, that's very helpful because they can help to take some of the pressure off of that relationship, which is great. Yeah. However, just limiting the time you're there, make it a shorter trip. Come for, like stay in the hotel, come for a few hours each day. Make up. Yep. Reasons you can't be there all the time. It's it's okay to, to set those boundaries, especially if your family doesn't respect those boundaries and you've tried to set them very directly. It's okay to set up hurdles yes. to jump over to be together. Yes, yes. I completely agree with that. And sometimes it literally is just the amount of space yes. that you have. Like, yeah, you if need you, more room for yeah. all the stuff you have. Yeah. The, yeah, for all the stuff and all the humans or quiet I'm somebody who's very introverted which people are surprised to hear but I need what I call roly-poly time yeah it's like I need to be where nobody talks to me for a little bit I call it Alex Mack time I like it she melts down into a puddle yes and that's that's what I feel like I need to do (laughs) and that's why it's so great to have that time because you need to melt into a puddle or become a roly-poly or a turtle or whatever yeah And I think even just giving language to that, because you could be the person in your family to be the ripple in the pond, that it takes one drop to change the family dynamic if you are changing your behavior. 
Um, sometimes it takes a long time though. But yeah. As you change, it's a family system. So your responses change their responses, which change future responses as well. And you can be the change you wish to see <laughs> in your family by starting that process. You can control your own behavior. So, right, like yeah. you're working on yourself. And this is something Martha and I would encourage. If it's not working, you've tried all these, these things and they're not working, seek a therapist because yes. it will really help you process. It really, really well. Like the importance of having an objective person yeah. <laughs> to just talk to. Yes. Like and hold space for you and who has no stake in the game and other than you. your feelings and reflect them back to you and say, that's interesting. I remember a previous visit, you had this experience. Mm -hmm. it's, it's helpful for you to recognize patterns. It really, really, really can be. Um, and, you know, I have openings. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but really, like, do, do seek a therapist. Psychologytoday.com is one of the best places to find sure. a therapist. You can, like, filter for in your area, for specialties, for insurance, for in-person versus telehealth. Yes. Like, all of those are filters that you can put on and find, you know, a few therapists to call and see do those might be a introductory. Good fit. Again, yep. just like environment, yep. there's a good goodness of fit. Goodness of fit, yes. absolutely. And I will say, shout out to my therapist. Um, she does a special thing where her first session for you is free. Mm -hmm. And if, it, if you do not choose to continue, it will always be free. If you do choose to continue, she will bill it through your insurance. Right. So then you're going to continue the relationship because the relationship really is so important in that because not everybody has the same communication style which is what we see with parents and children not everybody has the same values which is what we see with parents and children or style or um, flexibility or open-mindedness we see all that with parents and children and you get to select the other relationships right in your life and you don't always get to select your family no nope. so keep these things in mind as you may Enter into visiting with your family this month or any of the future months because it is hard sometimes, yep. even when you have a great family. Yeah. I, I have one more quote from Nedra yeah, girl, hit that us. I would love to read. Um, when you're from a dysfunctional family, healthy boundaries are viewed as threatening. Making an observation, expressing, expressing an expectation, refusing to be involved in chaos, or expressing a different viewpoint will likely lead to you being labeled as mean, funny acting, or weird. Not going along with the typical chaos can seem like you're trying to make waves in the family. The truth is you are making waves. Mm -hmm. You're breaking the cycle of dysfunction and that isn't always well received by others. And I will also say, even when it's not well received, it still is received. Yeah. So like we said, being the stone that drops in the pond that creates the ripple, even when people are unhappy about it, still that's change. Yeah. And part of that process, part of the creative process, I would say, is discontent. Yeah. And that is an important thing to feel and to experience because that brings to light issues that are in front of us that we might not be fully aware of. So we know this is hard. Yep. We know you can do it. Yes. And we really, really appreciate you being here with us 
today or whatever day you are listening. Um, we are so grateful for this whole community of compassionate caregivers. And if you have any questions or concerns or other tips, we would love to hear them. Yes. Please email us at hello at compassionatechildcare.com or you could reach out to us on social media. We are at C Childcare LLC mm-hmm. on almost all of the platforms, I'm pretty sure. So Yep, I think we're I think we're on almost all of them. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> let us know if there's a platform you'd like us to get on to. We will see what we could do. Yeah, but sharing other tips or things that have worked with you, uh, even just sharing a story. Like, I love hearing people's stories. They're really important yes. to me. So, and I hate it. No, yep. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, only tell them, no. Yeah. Only tell Martha. But, yeah, I yeah, would love that. And because so much caregiving is a community experience. Mm-hmm. And I think we have really shied away from that. But yes. I think it is such a necessary thing for survival as a caregiver because it is very isolating whether you're caregiving in a family whether you're caregiving professionally whether you're caregiving as an educator or even caregivers who care for the elderly it's very isolating and very hard and worth it very rewarding and still hard yes keep in mind that it's a community effort and we would love to hear from you because you are our community yes Please write in. Please reach out. And a sincere thank you for listening um, to our words. It's really meaningful to us to have you as part of our community. We're grateful for you. Yes. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. The Compassionate Caregiver Podcast is produced and hosted by Katie Anderson and Martha Tyler. If you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, please consider becoming a Patreon member. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Compassionate Caregiver Pod and on Twitter at C Childcare LLC. To contact us, email hello at compassionatechildcare.com. As always, thanks for listening. This show has been brought to you by Machine Culture. 